The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. This is Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And once again, we are in our study of Christian warfare. A few weeks ago, we were studying the unity of believers, and we learned how we are to work together and to get along with one another. And this is especially true in the context of the, of the fellowship of the church. When we speak of Christian warfare, the sense of it is not that we are at war with each other, but despite this, James wrote in James chapter 4, from whence come wars and fightings among you. He, sometimes Christians go to war with each other, and the apostle says that this is caused by our lust and envy. It's caused by our desire to be friends with the world. It's when we embrace their sins, and James said that the friendship with the world will make you the enemy of God. Why? Well, because God is always engaged in warfare with the rulers of darkness and wickedness in high places that rule the sin-cursed world. And so when you make friends with the world, you aid and abet the enemies of God. Our warfare is certainly not against other Christians, but our battles are against Satan and his evil angels. It is Satan who influences sinners to fight with us and he with our own sinful flesh. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from lustly flesh, lust which, which war against the soul. Now, in these past few sermons, I've tried to impress upon you that we are in the fight of our lives. We don't fight against physical, a physical enemy can be conquered with physical weapons. If we did, we would just buy bigger and better guns. We would get more powerful explosives. But the truth is, we don't fight an enemy that we can see. And we don't use weapons that we can load and fire. And what's worse, the enemy is bigger than us. He's more powerful than us. And he has plenty of spiritual weapons and spiritual beings that help him. And if that was all that I told you, if all that I said is there is an enemy who is after our souls and we can't see him, we have no personal ability to fight him, it's impossible for us to overcome him, then I think that it would plunge your souls into depression. You would be in despair and hopelessness. But the truth is, for the child of God, there is hope because God provides plenty of help for our defense. Our enemy is unseen, and we fight this unseen enemy with unseen allies. Now, Satan does have a powerful force that's on his side, but we have one that's on our side, too, and ours will finally overcome. Now, in our text in Ephesians 6, Paul doesn't mention these angelic allies. I mean, he deals mainly here with the opposition. But I thought it would be good for us to consider the character and the nature of the allies that fight with us. Now, in the 10th verse of this chapter, Paul mentions the power of God's might 
And this includes the angelic armies that he uses to protect us. Now, the opposition is described in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. These are all descriptions of evil angels. These are the demons. These are Satan's workers. And they are an exceedingly formidable foe. And it takes a more impressive force to defeat them. Now, you and I fight Satan and we defend ourselves with weapons that are mentioned in the following verses. But as we do, we're not alone in the conflict. God provides an angelic army that stands with us and protects and supports as we fight. Well, last week I introduced you to the holy elect angels of God. And our first topic in that message was the truth about angels. There is much confusion about angels, even though they're mentioned more than 500 times in the scripture. You would think that there was no information because people are so mixed up. Some think that angels are dead humans, that when you die, you go to heaven and then you become an angel. But angels are not dead humans. They're not related to humans. Each angel is a special creation. They are a different order than humans. They were created before man was created. Some think that all angels are good. No, some angels are not good. Many angels are evil. And when Satan fell, there was one third of angels that followed him in his rebellion. All angels were originally created good. But then Lucifer, who was a high ranking angel, was lifted in pride. He sinned against the creator and he became Satan, the adversary. Other angels also fell. They joined the rebellion. These are usually known as demons. And the angels that didn't rebel, these are the good angels. They are called elect angels. These are angels that always remain holy. And now there are no more angels that can rebel. These holy elect angels are our allies. We also learn that they are innumerable. Of course, there is a finite number to them. God knows what that number is. But the Bible says that there are so many angels that they are as the stars in heaven. And we would long stop counting before we ever got to the end of how many angels there are. We learn that angels are invisible. There are times when they have appeared in human bodies, but that's rare. And although the numbers of angels are uncountable, the numbers of times that they appeared as men in Scripture are easily counted. They're spirit beings. They belong to the spiritual world. And we can't see them even though there may be thousands in this room where I am today. Angels are God's helpers. They are the saints ministers and they are the saints protection. They're powerful, but they're not God. They were never intended to be worshipped as God. They are never to be prayed to and neither are they mediators between us and God. Well, that brings us to our subject today, 
We've learned the truth about angels concerning their character. And now I'd like to talk to you about how God uses these elect angels. So we're going to look next at the task of angels. What did God give angels to do? Now, primarily, I want to talk about how their tasks relate to them as our allies. But before we go into that part, I want to briefly mention how God uses them for his glory. In Ephesians 6, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of darkness, uh, that indicates a hierarchy of evil angels. Some of them are more powerful than others. And under Satan, some of them have special ruling authority. I think the Bible also shows that there is a hierarchy of elect angels. The Bible mentions one archangel. The Jews and others believe that there are more than one. But there's only one, Michael, that is named as an archangel. And that may indicate that he is the most powerful angel. Some angels are classified as seraphim. These are in God's throne room. That's mentioned in Isaiah 6, verse 2. And this is the description that Isaiah gives as they stand above the throne. In his vision, Isaiah said, above it stood the seraphim, and each one had six wings. And with twain, he covered his face, and with twain, he covered his feet, and with twain, he did fly. Seraphim means burning ones. And it seems the scriptures are telling us that it's their job to praise God and to declare his holiness. Then there are some angels that are called cherubim. Uh, You may be more familiar with these, especially if you've studied with us in our tabernacle series. These are angels whose form was molded into gold and placed on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Cherubim have four faces, the face of a man, the face of an ox, the face of a lion, and the face of an eagle. And each of those faces reflect a different aspect of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have time to go into that now, but you can check out the tabernacle series if you'd like to learn more. The cherubim seem to be special guardians of God's holiness. They protect God's holiness and his throne so that without holiness, no one dare approach God. Now, you remember it was cherubim with flaming swords that God placed at the entrance to Eden And that was to keep anyone from re-entering the Garden of Eden to eat of the Tree of Life. So that just gives us an idea of the hierarchy of angels. Others are called princes. Some may be angels in authority over certain territories of the earth. But now I'd like to turn our attention to the task of angels in relation to God's people. What has God designed the angels to do? And how do angels relate to men? Well, I'd like to say first... And I mentioned it just a moment ago that the Bible strictly forbids the worship of angels. Oh, they are powerful and they are spiritual. They are mystifying and they are supernatural, but they are not gods and they are not to be worshipped. Now, one of Satan's most diabolical tricks is to fool people into the worship of angels. Near my house, there is a a Catholic church that has a glistening statue of an angel in front. And one of Satan's works is to deceive people into worshiping false gods. He fools people into thinking that angels are like God. He starts at the first commandment and he tries to get people to put other gods above or equal to Jehovah God. 
He profanes the holy and he takes ideas that are related to truth and he twists them and he makes them seem plausible and even the right thing to do. And one of his methods is angel worship. Now, people are naturally religious. They're naturally superstitious. You know, then on Mars Hill, when Paul spoke to the Athenians, this is one of the things that he said to them. You are too superstitious. And he meant that you are too religious. And and that means that they worshiped many gods. Anything that we can't understand, anything we can't explain tends to become an object of worship. Now, Paul faced this in his missionary journeys as he dealt with polytheistic people. The Greeks and the Romans worshiped multitudes of gods. Paul preached in Athens, surrounded by hundreds of idols and altars that were made to every god imaginable. In Corinth, they did the same. They they worshipped even human reproduction. They had a goddess of fertility that prompted them into all sorts of deviant sexual activity. There were male and female prostitutes, temple prostitutes and and sex, they believe, was a way of higher communion with their gods. And this was common with pagans. And in the Old Testament, that was always a temptation to the ancient Israelites. Baal worship related to this. Israel was tempted into idolatry with the many gods of surrounding nations. And Satan does the same with angels. Oh, we're not likely to worship a pagan god, are we? And so Satan perverts Christianity and wants us to make gods of angels. The Roman Catholic Church has many gods. They encourage people to pray to angels and the New Age movement. They also make angels a prominent part of their worship. But the Bible teaches against it. One of the clearest rebukes against angel worship is found in Revelation 19. And in this chapter, an angel announces the destruction of the kingdoms of this world. He announces the doom of the Antichrist and he delivers the message to John. John saw this wonderful vision of heaven. Uh, The people of God were rejoicing over the Antichrist's defeat. He was told to write of the blessings of being called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he was overwhelmed with all of this information. And he fell at the feet of the angel that delivered this message and tried to worship him. Notice what happens in Revelation 19. In verse 10, it says, I fell. John says, I fell at the feet of this angel to worship him. And he said to me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Could it be clearer? Never worship angels. We are commanded to worship God. It's blasphemy to pray to angels or worship them in any way. The mission of angels is never to become the objects of worship. Angels don't want to be worshipped. They're holy and they would never accept worship that belongs only to Jehovah God. And I even suspect that if God permitted, angels would strike dead a person who thought for a moment they should worship them. Nothing could be more dishonoring to the holy elect angels of God than to be made into false gods. Worship is not the angels mission. What do they do? Well, let's talk about four tasks that are the mission of angels. Now, first, their mission is to proclaim God's message. 
Angel means messenger. It's as simple as that. Angel just means messenger. An angel delivers a message. And I want you to remember this because when you see angel in the Bible, you need to, to always check the context because sometimes an angel is not a supernatural being. For example, in Revelation chapters one through three, the angels of the churches are pastors. Pastors are messengers. And in the first part of the Revelation, the pastors of the seven churches of Asia are called angels. When I deliver a message to you like this one, I am an angel. I am an elect angel. And I know that I'm elect because I believe in Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And the message that I give you is the message of salvation. I am an elect angel, but I'm not a supernatural angel. Now, let me explain that it is not the ordinary work of supernatural angels to preach the message of salvation. In other words, God doesn't use angels to preach the gospel to lost people. Now, I think there are some who wish that God did it that way because it would relieve us of the responsibility. Just let God send an angel out uh, to vi on visitation to speak to someone who's lost. Don't send me. But God didn't appoint angels to be preachers and witnesses of the gospel. He told us to do it, and he called people for that purpose. And there are good reasons. We've already seen the tendency of people to worship angels, and this is what would happen if God just put angels in, into uh, pulpits, turned them loose in the pulpits of churches, or had them out on street corners, people would start worshiping angels. Well, also, angels aren't saved. I mean, they've never experienced the grace of God and repentance and faith unto salvation. Peter tells us that angels desire to understand salvation. They haven't figured out why God would save such vile and despicable creatures as we are. They don't understand why a holy God would leave the glories of heaven to be made in human flesh, to be hated and reviled and crucified. I mean, after all, he didn't provide redemption for the fallen angels. So why would he for us? Angels would make good witnesses of the gospel because they lack this personal testimony of salvation, of redemption in Christ. So God hasn't chosen them to be messengers of the gospel. He tells us to do it. In the tribulation, though, there is an angel that is called to deliver the special salvation message. This is in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. John said, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. That doesn't happen now. We're not in the tribulation. And so we needn't expect that God will write messages in the sky and tell angels to preach to people. Angels are not responsible in this age, in the church age, to proclaim the gospel of salvation. But angels do announce God's messages. In fact, even though angels don't give the gospel, they may instruct people to give the gospel. In Acts 26, 
an angel was sent to Philip with instructions to preach the gospel. There it says, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, why did the angel tell Philip to go into the desert? Well, it's because one of God's elect people was sitting in a chariot and reading from the book of Isaiah, and he couldn't understand what he read. And so Philip went and he took that book, Isaiah, and interpreted it and preached Jesus to him. Now, isn't that remarkable that out of the thousands of people that were in Jerusalem worshiping, uh, worshiping at the feast, God had an angel direct Philip to one man who had left Jerusalem and his heart was prepared to believe the gospel. God knows where each of his people are. And when he wants to bring them to salvation and he's ready to save them, he sends somebody to them with the gospel. And maybe you've experienced this. You ever met someone and you thought, I wonder if this person knows about Jesus. And as you think about that, you feel the urge to speak to them about the gospel. And that could be an angel that pokes you to speak to that person. And also there is an example in the Bible when an unbeliever was told by an angel to speak to a Christian. This is what happened to Cornelius. The Holy Spirit was working in Cornelius' heart. And in Acts 10, while he was praying, an angel delivered a message. Acts 10, verse 3, he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius... And when he looked on him, he was afraid. And he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. The angel told Cornelius to find Peter, a Christian, one who could tell him about Jesus. Now notice again that it wasn't the angel that gave him the gospel. He just pointed him in the right direction. Angels will not do our job. We must preach the gospel. And there are many examples in scripture where angels delivered messages. The angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she would have a child. And the child was the Holy One sent from God. An angel appeared to Joseph to give him instructions concerning the child. An angel appeared to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, to tell him that his wife Elizabeth, who was barren, would have a child. When God wants to deliver a message, he sends a messenger, an angel, to deliver the message. So the mission of angels is to proclaim God's message. Now, also their mission next is to provide for God's people, to provide for God's people. Mysteries about angels is why does God need angels? Why does God have angels do these things? God doesn't need a fighting force. He doesn't need helpers. He only needs to speak the word and things happen. He had no help creating anything when he spoke it was done so why doesn't God just speak the word and flick the devil off like a booger I mean why does he just speak and make everything we need suddenly appear well if if you were to ask this question in our Sunday morning forum class you would get a blank stare I don't know I'm just content to believe that for some reason God thought it was the best way 
And as I always tell you, God never does anything that doesn't somehow bring him honor and glory. So using angels must be the best way to glorify him. I mean, after all, God doesn't need people. Some think that God created man because he was lonely. God's not lonely. He's supremely happy in himself. God created emotions and happiness. He defines it. So how could we say that he isn't happy? Well, God did choose angels to provide for us. When we were saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us. And the Holy Spirit ministers to our internal spiritual needs. His work inside of us is supernatural. But externally, God uses supernatural angels as ministering spirits to provide for our physical needs. Angels will never come as internal spirits. Now, the devil, who is a fallen angel, can never inhabit the body of a Christian. We learned that when we studied about him. A holy angel neither can inhabit the body of a Christian. Our bodies are reserved space for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit fills that whole space so there's no room for him and angels. Angels work externally on the physical things. Hebrews says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? Do you remember when an angel helped Elijah? God sent an angel to minister to his physical needs. Now, if you would turn to first Kings chapter 19. And this is the story when Elijah was frightened of Jezebel. She threatened him and she said that. By the same time on the next day that she would cut him in pieces, just like he did her prophets. Now, Elijah just returned from his great victory on Mount Carmel. He was in a contest with Jezebel's prophets. They were the prophets of Baal. And he prayed and God sent fire down from heaven to consume his sacrifice. And then Elijah ordered Jezebel's prophets to be killed. And when she found out, she was fighting mad. And so she promised Elijah he would suffer the same death. Elijah was afraid. He took off into the wilderness as fast as he could go. And when he had gone about a day's journey, he was exhausted. So he sat down under a juniper tree and he just said to God, just just go ahead and take my life now. And he fell asleep. And as he slept, an angel came. This is first Kings 19, verse five. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at its head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. He arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. God put an angel in his path to take care of Elijah's physical needs. Now, if you have your Bible still open there, you'll notice the next verse. In the next verse, it wasn't an angel that came. It was the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 9. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? The word of the Lord came to him. Who is the word? John tells us 
in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In Revelation 19:13, it says Christ's name is the word of God. It was Christ that came to him. Sometimes God sends an angel, but an angel is never more comforting than Jesus speaking personally to you. And how does Jesus speak personally to you? By the Holy Spirit. And this is a great reason I'm glad that the Holy Spirit lives in me. It's not an angel. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit knows my weaknesses. He knows what I go through because Jesus suffered and was tempted in the same ways we are. Now, I don't know how many times we miss it, but I'm sure there are times that God sends angels to provide for us. Well, how else do they minister? Well, thirdly, the ministry of angels is to protect God's servants. And this is where many people get mixed up with false views of angels. The Roman Catholic Church, we've mentioned, loves angels. They want to worship angels and pray to angels. And they have a false view of the protection of angels. The Catholic Church teaches that every person has a guardian angel assigned to them, maybe two guardian angels that watch over them. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that each person has a guardian angel assigned to them. This false view may come from Matthew 18:10, where Jesus said, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my father, which is in heaven. If that's talking about guardian angels then those angels are in heaven, it doesn't say they're with us here on the earth. But I don't think that the Bible teaches that we have a guardian angel. I think it teaches that we have thousands of angels that watch us. Any time that God wants to help us, he can send multitudes of angels for help. When Jesus was taken prisoner in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter tried to protect him with his sword. And with uh, poor aim, he, he, he wielded his sword and he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Peter was a fisherman, not a fencer. And Jesus told Peter, put up your sword. You don't need it. He said, I can pray and I can have 12 legions of angels come and help me. Now, if we think of it, Jesus, who was he? He was the son of God. What does the Bible call us? John said, beloved, now we are the sons of God. So I think there are legions of angels that protect us. And this is what we're talking about. Angels are allies. They fight beside us. They protect us and they minister to us. I think that angels have protected me many times. I've been driving and pulled out in traffic and I didn't see someone coming. I could have been killed right on the spot, but many times I wasn't. And uh, or many times I could have been killed, but wasn't. And I've had this strange sensation that I was protected. And there are lots of stories like that. I, I remember Frank Tharp. Some of you may an old member of Berean who died a few years ago. He told me stories about how he was flying bombing missions in World War II, and he said he felt, he could feel it, that he had special protection. And I believe that God does that. And of course, there is the story we often refer to about Elisha, when his servant thought that they were about to be killed by the Syrian army. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes. And his eyes were opened, 
And he saw that they were surrounded by chariots of fire, a host of angels that were there to keep them from harm. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, there were hungry lions just waiting for the next meal. But when they put Daniel in the den, do you know what he said? He said, my God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me. Now, later they threw the devil's servants into the den, the ones that opposed Daniel and the lions ate them before their bodies could even hit the floor of the den. So it makes a difference whether you are one of God's people because God has angels watching over you, not one or two, but thousands. So the mission of angels is to proclaim God's message, to provide for God's people and to protect God's servants. And then finally, the mission of angels, their task is to project God's saints. Now, what do I mean by project God's saints? You ever wondered when you die, how does your spirit get to heaven? If my spirit was released from my body right now, how would I get to heaven? I haven't been there before. I don't know where it is. I don't have a road map. I can't jump that high. I don't have a vehicle for it. So how do I get there? Well, the Bible indicates that angels pick us up and deliver us to heaven. Now, I guess you may, might call angels heavenly postmen. Someone drops you in a box and the angels pick you up and take you to heaven. Unlike the postal service, they always deliver you to the right address. Well, this is what Jesus said about Lazarus when he died. He was a poor beggar without a cent to his name, but he was a child of the king. And when he died, God sent angels to pick him up in Luke 16:22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Angels project us. They carry us to heaven when we die. I don't often take stock in deathbed stories, but I wonder sometimes about the comments that that some people make just before they die. I've been at the deathbed of many people just just at the very moment when the spirit was ready to leave the body. When I was a child, I went with my dad on many, many visitations of the sick and then as a church deacon years ago, I would go to see people as they were about to die. And just before dying, I've heard people say they saw angels and I've heard them say that they could hear singing. Now, maybe there's a nat natural explanation for that. But you know something? I have never, never have I heard a lost person in the hour of death say that they saw angels coming for them or that they heard beautiful singing. Now, I have heard plenty of stories of those who died and they struggled up to the very last breath, trying to hold on to life. And they were terrified. Now, to me, that that that's frightening beyond belief. I've heard I've heard that some cry out in fear when they die because because suddenly they get a glimpse of hell. I mean, the last thing that they see before death is the most frightening image that anyone can imagine. I don't want to die that way. I don't know. Maybe this is the peace that God sends to his saints. Death is naturally frightening. I think most people don't want to die. And so maybe God allows the dying, his people, to see angels, to give them peace as they close their eyes in death. Angels are in their vision, ready to take them to heaven. Now, I think it's a great comfort to, to know that God has angels prepared for us. 
There's no need to be afraid. You have angels that introduce you to your new home. It's an old song says, oh, come angel band, come and around me stand. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings to my immortal home. Well, this is good information about our allies. They are ministering spirits. They are powerful. They're here to help us. We're in a great cosmic battle. It's a battle that we can win and we will win. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And we have more than flesh and blood to fight on our side. I, I believe that if God were to open spiritual eyes right at this moment, you would see this room or the room where you are filled with angels. I mean, wouldn't this, wouldn't this be really, really cool if, if people watching our recording saw angels standing behind me? Gavin Newsom would never close another church. Mighty elect angels are allies in Christian warfare. Now, friends, you may not have that comfort, but you can have it. All that you need to do is to repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ to save you. He gave his life to satisfy the wrath of God against us. When you believe you're safe and secure forever, you get God's Holy Spirit to come and live inside you. And you get 24-hour protection from angels. Not 24-7, but 24 eternity. Angels are your allies. One day you'll die. And angels will pick you up. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And in the power of his might are the holy elect angels of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that you give us that when we die, we'll go to see you. We thank you, Lord, for the protection that you give us in this life, that you have angels that watch over us. We thank you, Lord, that though we are in a terrible fight against the unseen powers of darkness, that we have plenty of help. We have the Holy Spirit to rely on. We have angels to rely on. We have the word of God to read and strengthen us. And we thank you for that. We pray for anyone today listening uh, to this message who doesn't have hope in Jesus Christ, who is fearful of death and is afraid that when they die, they'll see the fires of hell rather than the glories of heaven. We just pray, Lord, you'd open the eyes of their hearts, the understanding of their hearts. They may see Jesus Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior. Lord, we ask that you would bless your people now in this time, this terrible time that we're going through. We need protection. We need strength. And most certainly we know the devil is working hard against us, against his, uh, the Lord's church. And we just ask that you would be our comfort and our guide every single day. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. And we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now I'd like to give you one final word, benediction. This is from Psalm 91. And just a wonderful passage that has given people hope down through all the centuries. Psalm 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings thou shalt trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. God bless all of you. We'll see you in next week, and we pray that you'll go with God and be safe. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.